16 tells us that God is love. And in this video, I want us to take a look at just how great our Father's love is and how the love of God 
can be seen in pretty much every single page of the Bible that we read. Isn't that an interesting thought to think about? Every time we open up the Bible, we can see the Father's love. Let's take a look at some of those passages together. Probably one of the most familiar passages about God's love is John 3.16, which reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Very well known and rightfully so. It's such a wonderful verse that tells us how deep the Father's love is. But you know, this is not the first time that we see the Father's love. We don't just find out only through him sending his son. I mean, that's, that's a big deal, definitely. And it, it really means a whole lot to us today. And it has for the past 2,000 years of history about how great God's love is that he gave his special son, his one and only son, his only begotten son, as, as uh, you might be familiar with that phrase, so that we can have eternal life. That was the purpose. Well, you know there's a very good reason as to why God had to do that in the first place. And it takes us back to the first few pages of the Bible. Let's go back to the first few pages of the Bible and let's read together about how great God's love is. In Genesis 3, we see, and you probably know this, this passage as, this is whenever sin enters into the world. The first two chapters of Genesis, everything is great. Now, mankind, uh, Adam and Eve, they have been given this command to not eat from this fruit, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they ate from it. I'm sure you already know that. But you know, right after they eat from it, I believe we see how great God's love is. Let's take a look at it. Genesis 3, verses 8 through 11. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Well, his sin definitely is caught up to him. And everybody knows he sinned. The man and his wife, they both had sinned. And you might be wondering, where do we see the love of God in this passage? Keep reading. Later down in verses 21 through 24 of this same chapter, we find out this. After God uh, definitely knows it, what has happened, and really, Adam and Eve, they've confessed what they did. After that, we read this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So here in this passage, oftentimes what we might consider being something that's quite negative, the fact that the Lord God banished Adam and Eve from the garden, a lot of times we look at that and we think, well, that's a punishment that they had to receive. It's actually because of God's love. And the reason is found in verse 22 there that the whole purpose for them going out of the garden is because 
now that sin has entered into them, they don't need to reach out and to take from the tree of life and live forever in that state of sin. They needed to do something about this sin. God had already had a plan of what he was going to do about this sin. Now, Adam and Eve, I'm sure they didn't know that yet. We kind of can look back and we can, you know, we can see a more complete picture. They didn't know that. They were living it. But yet God showed them mercy by sending them out away from the tree of life so that really they could be reunited with him one day and that we could have eternal life and so that we could be saved. Even though, you know, sometimes these Bible stories that we read, it looks like it can be difficult to find God's love. However, if we search for it, God is love and we can find his love in every passage, even like going back to the very beginning, we see that. But, you know, this is the very first time that sin is mentioned uh, in the Bible and that we see that God responds in a way that he still is making plans. He still has something planned for mankind. Well, that continues on throughout the rest of the Bible, too. Let's look at another occasion. In fact, the next time sin shows up. It's just one chapter later. It's one generation later. It's between Cain and Abel. If you remember that Cain killed his brother Abel. But notice the conversation and notice how the Lord responds to this. Genesis chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So now we look at this and we think, Oh, this is punishment. This is, you know, this is some bad punishment. Now, let's be honest. We look at this and we think Cain killed his brother. He deserved that punishment. And yes, I mean, he did deserve punishment. That's, uh, that's what justice deserves. However, God is also a merciful God because we see immediately after this, yes, there is punishment and yes, our sin has to be dealt with, but God is still a merciful God even among such a horrible sin like this with the second generation of, of people with Cain and Abel, he is still very merciful to them. Because if you keep reading, you find out this love of God. God's love shows up in the fact that he is, uh, that he is just, but it also shows up that he is merciful. Let's look at that. The next few verses, verses 13 through 16 now, we read this. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So here in this passage, what we see is this mercy of God. We see a man who, let's face it, whenever I read it, I can't help but think he's just, he's just kind of whining in verse 13. He says, my punishment is more than I can bear. I don't know, maybe he thought that it was. To me, it doesn't look like it's really too, too much of a punishment for him to bear, but whatever, he felt like that. And even in the midst of this, with a man who clearly is guilty, 
Everyone knows he's guilty. There's no question about it. Cain killed his brother. God knows it. Cain knows it. Everyone knows it. But yet, even in this midst, Cain cries out for mercy, and God, God gives it to him. He receives that mercy. This is a love of God that he has, that he is just, but he is also merciful. He works with us, even though we rightfully, in this case, Cain, he rightfully deserved really to, to die because, you know, a life for a life. That's how we typically think. That's even what we have within our own laws today. But yet right here, what we see is that his punishment is more than he can bear. At least that's what he says. And God listens to him and he helps him out. And he gives him this mark. And sometimes people look at this mark of Cain and they think, oh, well, you know, that's part of the punishment. It's actually part of God's mercy. I mean, you, you look at this and you see God's mercy. And there's so many other stories like this, too. These are just, you know, the first two that we come across. Also, you know, just a few chapters later, we're going to find out that the whole world is just wicked. But yet we find out that one man, Noah, he's righteous. And the Lord looks at him. And because of his righteousness, he gives him plans to build an ark. And then we have the whole story about the flood and Noah's ark. But Noah and his family are brought safely through that time because Noah was found to be righteous in God's sight. So we see once again this mercy. See, every time that we see these, these times of punishment or these times of sin, what we see is, yes, there is some punishment. Yes, there is uh, some dealing of sin that needs to happen. Of, of course there is. But at the same time, we see God's mercy. We see God's love shining through every page. Because keep in mind what 1 John 4 reminds us of, that God is love. And we see that all throughout the Bible. And eventually, of course, you probably already know where this is going about how great God's love is, because it doesn't end right here with just the second generation. We see God is merciful to the first generation of mankind whenever they sin. He's merciful to the next generation. But, you know, every generation after that, he's merciful. And it comes down to one kind of main thing that in which God deals with sin. Because he is love, he loved us so much that he sent his son, didn't he? Remember that passage? Well, we find this in many different passages in the New Testament talking about this love of God. One of those is found in Galatians 4. In Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, we read about this plan of God that goes back all the way to the beginning of time, even before time. But notice what is said about our Father's love here. Verses 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So in this passage in the New Testament, what Paul is telling us is that God has had this plan all along. And just at the right time, God knew when this time was. A lot of times, even the prophets didn't exactly know the right time and, and exactly what God was going to be doing. God knew. He had a plan. And just at the right time, God sent his son to be able to redeem those who are under the law and really to be able to uh, allow us to receive eternal life, forgiveness of sins, for us to be able to call God our father and cry out to him, Abba, Father. Isn't that wonderful that we can call out to God with those words that we are a child of God 
That is how deep the Father's love is. But there's more. Because this is a message that Paul and others of the early church, they repeatedly were proclaiming this wonderful message of God's love. Let's look at one of those sermons together. Just a, a few verses in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, uh, this is kind of setting the stage for what the sermon is going to be about. But we read in verses 22 through 23 that he's in Athens here. And we see Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So here we are going to find out that God is merciful, even with these people who they've they've built some altar and trying to you know get close to God. They just don't even know what he's all about. Paul is about to tell them about this God. Let's look at what Paul says about this great God who is our father and who loves us dearly. Verses 24 through 28. This is Paul speaking in his sermon, and he says, the God who made the world. And everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if needed, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So see, even these people of Athens, who didn't have a very clear idea of who God is and what he's all about, they still knew that we are the offspring of God. God loves us. He's done something for us. They didn't know exactly what it was, and Paul tells them what it was that he did. You know, he doesn't uh, need us. He doesn't need anything. He is the one who supplies everything. That's what verse 25 tells us. So how do we return this love? How do we show this love and how do we accept this love of the Father? Well, Paul also continues on in this sermon and he, he recognizes that, that they understand, even their own poets recognize that we are his offspring, but that's not all that God has done for us. The rest of the sermon continues. Verses 29 through 31. There. Therefore. Since we are God's offspring, we should not think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So here in this sermon, we see that, that this was God's plan that we are God's offspring. But God is not just some created thing. No, God is the creator. He's overlooked those times of ignorance before that was verse 30 talks about. But, but now what he's doing is he's calling everybody to repent. He's calling everybody to, to give an account for what they, they do and what they have done. Verse 31, he will judge the world. We, we know this. He is going to judge the world. He's going to do it in justice. And as we see the justice of God does include mercy. God loves us. Our Father loves us very, very deeply. He's raised Jesus from the dead so that we can have eternal life and so that we can also have hope of being raised up from the dead 
Now, if you keep looking at the rest of the verses here in Acts 17, uh, we're not going to do that in this video. But if you keep looking at the rest of the verses in Acts 17, you find out that that some people, whenever they heard about this being raised from the dead, some people didn't know what to do with that. Some people accepted that. They became Christians. Other people didn't know what to do with that. The same types of responses we have today. Not everybody knows what to do with that information, but that information most certainly is true. And for us who are Christians, we rest on this hope. We, we have hope that we will be raised up from the dead. And we have hope that the Father who loves us and has shown his love repeatedly in the pages of the Bible, he will continue to show us his love in our everyday lives, but also at the end of time, whenever we are judged, he will show us that love on that day as well. But you know, there's also something that he desires from us. And to that, I want us to turn to not John 3.16, which is where we began, but I want us to, to look at 1 John 3.16, because John again reminds us about this love of God. This time he turns it on us and shows because of this love, we need to do something about it. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know God's love. He loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us. Because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us so that we can have eternal life, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How are you doing about that? Are you able to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters? Because that's the way of Jesus Christ. That's what he's asked us to do. That's what he's already done for us. Will you do the same thing just like he's asked us to? Turn to me.